Hello and welcome to another episode of Saltgrass, a show about how local communities can engage with the climate crisis at a grassroots level. My name is Ali Hanley. In this episode, I'm going to share audio of a book launch that happened on Saturday. Due to COVID restrictions, we were not able to have this event live at the library here in Castlemaine, so it was moved online. We were able to share images and videos with the online audience, which you will hear our guests talking about as we go through. Those images are going to be included on the episode page of the Saltgrass website and all links to the topics discussed can be found in the show notes on both the podcast app and the Saltgrass website. So let's dive straight in. Welcome to the launch of Trace Bella's latest creation called Cycling Together. As many of you tuning in today will know, Trace is a multi-award winning author and illustrator and she creates the most beautiful graphic novels including River Time and Rock Hopping and The Thank You Dish. Cycling Together is her latest creation and it's a really beautiful book with a really important message. So Trace has created this book to support the work of her brother Mark Bella who's joining us today. So Mark Bella is doing work in India to help girls stay in school by building toilets. We'll talk about Mark's charity, Operation Toilets, and then we'll talk about the book, of course, Cycling Together. And we're also joined by Jane Bennett, who is a menstrual educator and agent of cultural change about how women and girls think and feel about their monthly cycle. So many of you joining us today for the live event may not know me. (laughs) My name's uh, Ali Hanley and I have a radio show and podcast called Saltgrass, which is all about how local communities can work together to create grassroots change. And my show focuses on climate and sustainability. And the reason I'm here today to host this event is because this topic of girls' toilets and education of girls in India is actually really relevant to climate change. And both the United Nations in their sustainability goals and Project Drawdown have identified educating girls as a really important part of mitigating climate change and and affecting our global emissions. So Jane and I will discuss that a little later in the show after we've given Mark and Trace a chance to have a chat about their particular projects. And at the end of the session, we'll have some time for questions and answers. So we'll be talking for about 30 or 40 minutes and then we'll have some time for a Q&A at the end. So I think it's also really important to note up front that Goal of Trace's work in creating this book and publishing it and self-publishing it has been done without any payment or gain for herself. She's done it out of love for this project that Mark is doing and all profits from the sale of the book go to Operation Toilets. So I think that's definitely worth noting and we'll say that again later. So before we begin, I did want to just sort of mention something that's happened in our local community that has affected both Trace and myself which is the passing of a very special and amazing person called John Reed. He's a sourdough baker and I've done an episode or two with him and I also used to work for him when I first moved here to Castlemaine and Trace is quite close with members of his family. So we're both feeling that a little bit and it might affect us a little bit today, but we're we're very excited to share Trace's latest book with you. So we thought we'd go ahead with the session today. And I also want to acknowledge, of course, that the four of us are speaking to you from Aboriginal land. Trace, Jane and myself are on Jaira country, which is the home of the Jajarung people. And Mark is joining us from Melbourne on Wurundjeri country. And we'd all like to pay respect to elders past and present and honour the next generation of Aboriginal leaders that are emerging today. 
this country holds us and supports us and sovereignty was never ceded. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com. All right, so we're going to start with Mark today, founder of Operation Toilets, which I believe used to be called We Can't Wait. Mark, can you unmute yourself quickly and give us a quick explanation of what Operation Toilets is and how it started and I can start that slideshow anytime you like. All right, I'll let you know when. So, look, thanks so much for organising this launch for Trace's incredible book. And and i got to thank Trace before anything else for her generosity in putting a book together and handing over the rights to the organisation that I founded, Operation Toilets. It's a, it's a big deal for an author just to hand over the rights to a book. They're fantastic, Trace, and it is going to make a difference to the lives a lot of kids in India and Ethiopia and, and other parts of the world where we are active. So let's have a look at that first slide. I'll tell you a bit about how Operation Toilets started and this will lead into what it's all about. So I was in India on business, it'd be about nine years ago. And this first slide will show a very important place in, in my world. I was in India on business and I met a couple of young guys on a train and we got chatting for a bit and before I knew it, they invited me to come and visit their community. So the place you're looking at here is the community that I was invited to visit by these two young guys on the train. It's a place called Naravi. It's a slum in Mumbai with a population of about a million people. And for anyone who knows Melbourne, it's probably about twice the size of Albert Park Lake. So that's a, it's a seriously crowded place. I've been many times. I've got great friends who live there now, but on this particular occasion when I was taken, I was, I was pretty nervous. Slums don't have a great reputation as being all that safe for foreigners, but I decided to have a look anyway. And right at the end of this visit, these guys took me into a school. And I was looking around the school and I noticed there were lots of little boys and little girls and there were lots of teenage boys, but there were no teenage girls in the school at all. The reason I was told is there were no toilets in the school. And as the girls reached puberty, Managing their personal needs when they were menstruating just became far too difficult. And also, you know, adolescent girls can't just go to the toilet outside in the way little kids can. Boys and men have been using trees and walls and bushes since time began, but that's just not appropriate in a, in a crowded place like this for girls and women. And so as a result, the girls are just dropping out. From there, after doing a, a whole lot of reading and learning and introspecting about what all this meant, I decided to start this little charity, We Can't Wait, which is now called Operation Toilets. It was actually absorbed by a Rotary Club here in Melbourne, which has done amazing work. The Rotary Club of Box Hill Central has helped us take this initial initial shock of finding girls dropping out of school because of lack of toilets and turn it into a real impact. And I want to tell you a little bit about the very beginning of that, if we can have a look at the next slide. This is a little village that someone took me to visit about three months after I'd been to the slum. And I was still very green and very much in the learning phase of what was going on here. This school was in a village of 300 people, and it was a primary school. You can see about half the kids from the school on the ramp there. So the 25 kids in the school, about half of them there. One teacher, the young woman on the left, who's about 25 years old, was the, the teacher in the school. And the school had no toilet. 
So I asked her how she managed, and she told us that she would take the bus to work every day, about two hours from her hometown. She'd work all day, and then she'd take the bus home. And when she got home, the first thing she'd do would be to have a big drink of water. What she was telling us was that she'd go the entire day without drinking water, just for fear that she might need to go to the toilet. She then told us that when she had a period, she couldn't work at all, which meant the kids were missing school, which meant the mums were staying home from their day wage jobs to look after the kids, the family incomes were going down. So you've got the children's education curtailed, you've got family incomes being adversely affected. And of course, everyone in the community knew when this young woman had her period. So her dignity was being smashed as well. So the guy who took me there and I, we decided between us, we would fund the construction of one toilet and one wash basin to serve the needs of the school just to see how it went. And I had a call from him about three months later. I was back in Australia and he said he had a message for me from the teacher letting me know that the first thing she did when she arrived at the school these days was have a big drink of water. Amazing instant change in her life. Not only that, the previous month was the first time she'd been able to go to school and work every day for the entire month since she'd started working at the school, which means that the kids' education is back on track, family incomes are back up, and she's got her privacy back, her dignity back. The whole community benefited from the construction of one toilet and one wash basin. So... Pretty exciting stuff, and this was something that affected 25 children, a community of 300 people. And then we started to grow this concept further, and I'm going to show you a short video of something that I saw about three years ago. These are the girls' toilets in a school of 3,000 children. The smell was horrendous. When I went in there, I had to turn around and walk straight out, and I thought, no, I've got to film this to show people. Now, you can see where they'd been to the toilet on the ground. They were telling us with that they wanted somewhere private to go to the toilet. Even this was better than the alternative of going outside. I've been to this school a few times, and every time I went into these toilets, I was just shattered by the experience. Uh, on one occasion, I wasn't allowed to go back in at all because there were too many snakes in the toilets, and yet the girls were still using it as a toilet. The last time I was there was very different. We very happily consigned that abomination to history and replaced it with three of these, and I, I hope you'll agree if you can see that, that that's got to be the most beautiful toilet block you've ever seen in your life. We built three of them with 35 toilets all together for the 3,000 kids who were doing morning shift and afternoon shift. So it's basically 1,500 per shift. And I went back a couple of times to see how it was going. On the last visit, which was December 2019, I think you might have been there for this, Trace. As we were leaving the school, a couple of girls came running up to us, stood in our path and, and said, so we wanted you to know that you've changed our lives with these toilets. And it was one of the most powerful and emotional experiences of my life being told this by the beneficiaries because so often when we do work for others we we don't hear from them how it's going we just we hope it's helping and to hear from them directly that it was making a difference was extraordinary so i'm going to wind up just letting you know that operation toilets has gone from that first conceptual project to help 25 kids we've now reached more than 100,000 in schools all over india and now in ethiopia as well and we've been consulting for project opportunities in the Middle East, in Timor-Leste, in the Solomon Islands, even Guatemala. And it's just going from strength to strength. And support from Trace and Jane, and now you, Alison, as well, it just helps to ensure that we can reach even more children in desperate need. Great. Thanks so much, Mark. That was really good to hear about that project and actually see what it's like over there and what they've been dealing with and what I'm sure so many schools over there are like. I'm sure you've only started scratching the surface in terms of how many people you can help with this particular problem. So let's have a chat with Trace now. Trace, you've created this 
gorgeous book called Cycling Together, which is available both digitally and as a hard copy, and we'll get to that a little later. But let's start with the title. Why did you call it Cycling Together? Well, I used it in two ways. So I've always been a bike advocate. I'm a big bike rider, and there's many reasons I can talk about that. And also like the menstrual cycles. And I wanted to talk about also poverty cycles and cutting the link between menstrual cycles and poverty cycles and so that we're all together. So it took me a while to come up with the the name, but I'm really happy with it. And when I met these girls (laughs) with all the bikes, it was like, yeah, this is... Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great name. And I think there's a lot of and we can talk to Jane about this a bit later, but there's there's often a lot of squeamishness about periods. But cycling together feels like a really beautiful way to A describe periods without it being squeamish and weird. And also it's beautiful and inclusive and energetic. It's lovely. There's also this thing where, you know, women living in the same house or whatever often do cycle together. True. Yeah. That was a big part of it. Yeah, great. So let's talk about how you got involved. You went to India near the end of 2019 for a book tour, but that got derailed, didn't it? And then it led to this. Can you tell us that story? Uh, Yeah. So I was invited to go and show my books with the Australian embassy over there. And then at the last minute, it fell apart. But when I heard that I'd got air ticket, basically, I was like, yes, now I can go and meet these girls that actually I'll show you the one before. This is the girls that Mark was talking about that came running over. I wanted to go and meet the girls that had toilets and didn't because I'd read Mark's book and heard about his project and I just felt there was like a way that I could make another book. Sorry, just for the audience, Mark has released a book called Toilet Warrior and there's a link to that in the chat if anyone wants to find out more about that. But, yeah, sorry, go on, Trace. Oh, it's, there's so much to talk about. So Mark's book, it talks a lot about creating the project and it's probably aimed at adults and older young people. (laughs) I want to make a book for girls at the age of getting their periods so that they could really relate to the project and also I wanted to make a book for girls who had the privilege of having a clean period and, and being able to go to school to empower them to find a way that they could help in this planet that has so many problems. Here's a way that they could actually do something that was really significant for many people and very doable. And so I also knew that it was very good for environment. So I just jumped on board and said, I want to be a part of this and support your cause. And can you tell me some some places to go? And then in the end, Mark decided, well, hang on, you're going on this trip. I want to come. And meanwhile, the book tour got cancelled and so I had like a few days where I was just being an artist. So I'll just show you quickly. There's me just being an artist in the streets of India. And you are amazing, Trace. I've travelled with you before and if you see something that interests you, you'll just stop on the spot and just start drawing it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I've stopped at the market and there's usually a lot of people. That's what I was drawing, the women making baskets. That's the start of that sketch. And Mark was with me smelling the spices in the spice market. It's a lovely way to meet people and to connect by drawing as you go. And so I travel that way. I spend my life that way, I guess. Did you get the idea of creating the book while you were over there or did you come home and sort of think about it for a while and then realise? Because, I mean, pretty much as soon as you got home, COVID started happening 
and everything started shutting down and you lost a lot of work I know that year because you'd often do school tours and talks and things which all got cancelled because of lockdown. Well this book my last book was going to be launched on the first week of our first lockdown and you can see it's a bike story as well so I really seem to be able to slip bikes very well into my books well actually they play important roles I'll just show you that quickly first so Actually, speaking of our dear friend Johnny Reed, I have represented him in his bakery many times. <laughs> Here's one example in my book Heart of the Bubble, which is about the good things that came out of that come out of lockdown. So then when I went over there, I already had a bit of a plan that I wanted to have two girls, one with more privilege than the other, and to see these two parallel lives like and what would happen if one didn't have a toilet and then was given a toilet, two different outcomes. So it's almost like those choose-your-own-adventure stories where there's a change that happens. And then I've subtly put the bike thing in. So here the first boy is on a motorbike, but at the end he's on a bicycle. So here you can see the difference in how the two girls get to school. One goes on the back of her bike and the other girl walks with her family. And this is the girl that I sort of based the motorbike on, who I stayed with her family for 10 days. And I guess they'd be middle class. And then by the end of the story, though, the privileged of the kids was they got to actually ride bikes. So I've snuck the bike theme in there without actually talking about it. Yeah. And I I think the beauty of the story is that it really gently unfolds the compounding kind of impact of a lack of toilet and how that affects a girl's life on a really broad scale over the whole span of her life and then affects her children as well. You just describe how she starts falling behind at school because she has to miss school because there are no toilets while she's got her period and then how that leads to her dropping out of school and just working the way her mother has worked and then how that affects their children. And then you kind of rewind. It's like a sliding doors moment where you describe her life again and it's still affluence with more poverty, different class girls, but their trajectory is so much closer and and more closely aligned if the the poorer girl has access to toilets and can stay in school and how important that is. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw it firsthand. So this this girl here, her family, their business was picking rags off rag piles, off rubbish piles. And I, I love this photo because the girl in this photo, she's a teenager and she really wants to learn. And they were in a program that was trying to get kids with absolute poverty into schools. And so this was just teaching them to learn how to be students, basically. And that hunger for learning to get out of that poverty cycle was so apparent with these beautiful girls. Do we want to show a little video of girls saying their ambitions with their education? Is this yeah, a good time for these that? these girls here, they're at the school, and that would be great here, actually, because... The toilet there was absolutely terrible. I can show you a picture of it in a minute. But, yeah, why don't you show that? So we've just got a little video that Trace and Mark took while they were over there of some girls who just one by one stood up and said what they wanted to be when they grew up. And just keep in mind that all of these ambitions, none of them would be possible unless they're able to finish their education. So she wants to police. Teacher. Teacher. 
You get the idea that, and I, I think what was really nice about that moment was that the girls and I would go into a place where men and boys weren't invited and to bring that film back out and show it to Mark, I think, Mark, that was a big moment for you, I remember. Yeah, look, I think you know, we'd, we'd often wondered what, what the girls would say if there weren't men present and I think you know, some of the conversations you were able to have with them just allowed them to be much freer. It was, it was great to see, quite emotional to see that, that they're now able to think about uh, a future with, with possibilities as opposed to their peers in other schools that don't have an acceptable standard of facility, that they don't look forward to a, a future of, with some kind of imagination of how good it might be. So, yeah, beautiful. This is the moment in the book where there's a picture I'm just showing here of a girl by the water a water pump and her mother's got two children, little ones, and she's collecting water that she's going to carry. And it's this moment where the girl's saying, I'm not going to school because there's no toilet. And it's just this heartbreaking moment for me in that story. And then this photo is the girls who followed Mark to tell him we've got toilets and our lives have changed. And you can see the yellow toilets in the background that you saw in my photo yeah. earlier. Yes, yeah, so they're so happy. That's great. So, Trace, tell us about the self-publishing journey and what it's taken to get this book to happen. So (laughs) self-publishing is very challenging, especially if it's not like uh, a big skill. For me, it's not a big skill, that sort of paperworky stuff. I'm a good drawer and dreamer of stories. So I enlisted some people to help me. Sandy Coventry did the design. It was fantastic. And just everyone did everything voluntarily. And Kat Dretzky came on board to help make the website and all sorts of things. And she's still helping me with things. Jane Bennett here. Um, I can't thank enough for going, come on, we really want this book. And Jane and Rachel Pilgrim, menstrual educators, were really like supportive in that way. They knew that there was a, a real spot for this with those age girls I also had like Rosie Anir help me like type things up and Erica Wagner my old publisher helped me a little bit with tweaking the book but yeah it's a really tricky challenge and if anyone suddenly wanted to publish this book I'd say yes please take it anyway I've put it online so you can just buy it yourself but yeah Jane I can't thank you enough for really having faith in this project I wouldn't have actually done it I would have given up because yeah just felt like Corona put the toilets on hold, the toilet building, which now they're going ahead, aren't they, Mark? They're back on. Yeah, it's it's uh, coming back and gradually. It's been it's been hard, but yes, it hasn't. It's it is now alive again. And by the way, we're getting this book translated into Hindi and Marathi for you. That's really great. Yeah, I think it's really helped. Yeah, so I've just added links again in the chat. If anyone wants to find links to either Mark or Trace or Jane and amongst all those links is one to Trace's website which is tracebella.com and if you go to the cycling together page there you can figure out how to get a copy of the book so Trace people can buy it either as a digital or a hard copy how does that work? Yeah so in fact I think it's great just getting the digital you just get it immediately and also at the back of the book and on the web page there's some films about the girls But there's also, like, inspiration to have a fundraiser. And now while people are locked down, you can actually do it at home, is 
have a little craft session with your friends and maybe if everyone just bought the book then that's their donation to the cause and if they want to pay more they can but just by doing that and having a craft session together maybe making some pads or one of the other ideas in the book you're actually really helping something really significant with huge ripple out effects so and then otherwise you can do print on demand or if you wanted to buy a school a big school set you could email and we could organise it with the printer. Great. Thanks, Trace. Jane Bennett, we haven't heard from you yet and I really want to get to you. So Trace said that you were uh, a major influence in encouraging her and giving that boost to keep going with this book because it's really hard to do a project when you're just doing it on your own and trying to reach that end goal. So it's really important to have your cheer squad, you know, telling you to keep going and that it's important. What did you see about this project that you thought was important? And I guess this obviously ties in with your work. I'll explain to people that you're the founder of the Chalice Foundation and Celebration Day for Girls and and various other projects, which all are helping women and girls embrace and create more positivity about their monthly cycles. So how did you see Trace's book and why did you think it was so important that this came into the world? I, I was so excited when Trace and I got together sometime after you'd come back from India in a non-lockdown time and you showed me and talked to me about the project. I was already aware of Operation Toilets and I had read Mark's book so I was really excited to see what you'd done, Trace. And for me, it, it ticks so many boxes. Of course, it's a very practical way to help support Operation Toilets, which is an awesome project, really changing lives and communities and all the ticks for, you know, Project Drawdown and the UN Sustainability Goals. So on a, on a big global level, that, that certainly is part of it. But also, you know, this change for individual lives, as, as you've both spoken about. And for me, the particular lens that I bring to it is menstrual education. And I can see from the perspective of really everyone that reads the book. I mean, I I totally adore Trace's wonderful style, her delightful graphic novels, and also the quality of this one, you know, which I also see in your other books, Trace, but in this one, there's the poignancy that you've you've spoken about with with just telling the story and showing us a few of the pictures. And also ultimately that the humanity and optimism in it. And and I think it's it's such a wonderful story to share really for anyone who reads it. I mean I I love it myself, but to share in schools and young people just to have that cultural relativity perspective and and to really get inspired to to support the project as well. I'll just mention on Trace's website on the uh, Cycling Together page, there's also links to extension activities for teachers that were created by largely, I know you did some uh, Trace, but largely by uh, Keitha Theodore, who's a teacher in Ballarat here in Victoria. And these are the, all these activities, they fit in with the, the VELs and the Australian curriculum. So really great stuff in there. So you don't have to reinvent the wheel if you're a teacher or you just want to run some activities with young people. Or they could be used if you're, if you're uh, having a, a fundraising party, as uh, Trace was talking about. So for me, it's like it's wonderful, you know, little book just does so many things. <laughs> yeah. I think also for me it's like even here in the West where we're supposedly quite liberal and open about our bodies and what they do and the feminist movement has done a lot over a lot of years to make it not taboo, there's still a lot of shame and a lot of hiding 
and not talking about it and on lots of levels in society and in our culture. I think, though, seeing Trace's book and how difficult it is elsewhere in the world to be a woman is a really good reminder of how far we've come here, you know. Now, Jane, I also was really interested to talk to you about how this all fits in with climate crisis and sustainability. And I know that Trace has talked about cycling and so much of Trace's work talks to how we could live a different way to walk lighter on the earth. And I I would love to hear how you see this particular book linking to those themes. For sure. Well, I hope I've got these numbers right. (laughs) In the project drawdown, they're ranked from one to a hundred. Awesome book if you can um, borrow it somewhere or buy is number six, which is they're ranked as most substantive from one to a hundred. So number six is educating girls. And in all sorts of measures, it just makes so much difference to environmental impact to educate girls. Now, there's lots of different things that can be done to help support educating girls. But what Mark has been inspired to do and all the people that have worked with you and get passionate about this project too, Mark, is just take away one of the barriers for those in places where this has happened and, of course, the many where that's yet yet to happen. And it's a very practical thing that can be done. And there can be other economic and there can be other cultural issues that need to be dealt with as well and worked on. So there's obviously a lot of nuance to keeping girls in school, but simply by providing a toilet where girls can feel safe and private and to manage their periods really enables so many girls to be able to stay at school. So that's, that's you know, really straightforward. I mean, we could, uh, I don't think we've got time to go to all the reasons why educating girls is number six. I just recommend you grab the book if, if that's not immediately apparent to you. And the UN 2015 Sustainability Goals, gender equity is number four. So, you know, that's very early on in in those goals as well. And, of course, there's many factors to gender equity. But certainly education is a big part of that and being able to keep girls in schools, make that possible for them so that then all the flow-on effects, as you've done so beautifully in your book, Trace, the flow-on effect of what happens when a girl is able to be educated, able to earn income, the change then for her family and for future generations, for the community, bringing the benefits of her training back to her community, so on and so forth, really makes a a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. Love. Mark, I understand that your charity is working beyond India now. Are you looking outside of, of your original scope of works? We have a pretty big project underway in Ethiopia at the moment, in the south of the country, which is a good thing because the north is in a horrible situation politically at the moment. But the south, uh, they're managing COVID. It's interesting, the comment we had about COVID from someone over there is, you know, this is just another thing that can kill us. It's, it's They don't have the same panic about it as we seem to have in Western countries because they've already got a lot of other things and it's not that it's not taken seriously, but perhaps just a different context. And so they're getting on with stuff. I mean, it's tough, but they're getting on with things and the project's going well. This is it's a big project. It's going to reach 30,000 people, not just schools, but also communities. And we've just started looking into some opportunities in Nepal. And I've, I've been fairly involved in, in consulting with a project in Guatemala as well. 
But yeah, we're looking to go where the need is, which is everywhere. It'd be easier if we could actually go rather than just do it on Zoom. But you know, the, the reality is we've got our partners on the ground in these places who are just so good at the work that they do. They don't actually need us to be there to do it. They, they need us to support them financially. They need us to support them with the storytelling and, and when possible to come over and meet them because the value of, of meeting the beneficiaries face-to-face is not just good for us in our storytelling. It's also fantastic for the beneficiaries. It's telling them, gee, this, this must be important if someone's getting on a plane to come and see us. One of the things that people don't realise in the West is giving someone a toilet doesn't make them use it and doesn't make them realise it's important. If you give it to them because it's free, yeah, they're going to take it. So it comes down to education, and part of the education is highlighting just how important it is and the impact it can have on your future. Jane was talking about the Sustainable Development Goal and where educating girls is number six there, and I know you can't go into it all, but there are a couple or two or three that really stand out from our perspective is that if girls stay in school longer, they get married later, they have fewer kids, their kids are less likely to die in the first five years of their lives, and their lifetime income capacity goes up five or ten percent for each additional year in school. It's just a, it's just so impactful from so many levels. Mm, that's amazing. Now, Mark, I've got one more question for you, and then we might throw over to the audience and see if there are questions. So, what did you do before this happened? What were you doing with your life? And are you now a full-time toilet builder, or are you still working another job on the side? <laughs> My, my my life is very much completely in the toilet these days in a really, really good way. I was in CD and DVD manufacturing before this when it, when it was still a good idea and I, I got out of it when it was still a good idea, luckily, so which has allowed me to, to make this decision for this to be a, a big focus in my life. And, uh, yeah, I, I can't see myself ever getting tired of this stuff because the impact is there forever. And when you hear stories like those two girls who came up to me and Trace saying it had changed their lives, I mean, how do you stop? Yeah. Trace, did you want to add something? Yeah, I just, I'm not sure how clear it was about the other side of when they don't have toilets. For what really struck me was some of the things like girls having kidney diseases because they're holding on all day and just the implications of that. When they took me to one of the toilets, it was like down this really long path of long grass and there was like this little shed thing and there were some guys down there and it was like they were telling me about snakes, there's tigers, they were talking about scorpions. I mean, can you imagine here anyone I know, it's just a given. And so for me it was like really eye-opening to see how difficult it was to human need mm. and how much that's impacted. It's just it's hard not to want to wave a flag on it. When you when you see it for yourself like I did, it you can never unsee it. <laughs> I'm just going to second what my friend Sarah's written, a huge acknowledgement to Mark of being a male who's embraced and supported these fundamental, very personal needs of young girls. I've, Mark, I've been so proud of you doing this, like as a, as a man, and I always say to my friends this, oh, my gosh, I can't thank you enough in that way because it was a hidden thing when I was a teenager. You'll know a lot about this, Jane, that the shame thing, we don't talk about it. And now it's, I mean, the girls were certainly talking to me about things behind the door from Mark. Yeah, they're not ready to have that conversation with men yet. And, I mean, they've still got to... Even here, it's still difficult, but over there, they're, they're not ready. They're, they're getting there, and it'll come. And thank you, uh, both Sarah and Trace, for that acknowledgement. But when you think about it, it you know, I've got 
I've got a wife, I've got a daughter, I've got two sisters, I've got female friends. None of us would be in this conversation if it wasn't for periods. So, <laughs> so it's, true. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty reasonable to say, well, if it's, if it's catastrophic, why would someone not want to get involved? And I guess also in countries where the gender roles are more entrenched, you as a man can perhaps organise funds and building and projects like that in a way that maybe the local women aren't able. There may be a bit of that, but I think the other part of it is that this is this is everyone's problem. It's not just women's problem. It's This is everyone's problem. When it's so bad, it's everyone's issue. I mean, to me, if you ask a, a father in, in a developing country, in a, in a poor community in a developing country, how is it for your daughter? The answer will generally be it's horrible. Whereas in a Western country, the answer may well be, well, I don't really know because I know that my wife helped her buy her first pads or tampons and if she does have issues that need to be dealt with, the local GP is really going to be able to help. So as a man here, men need to be less involved. At least there's a perception of that and perhaps that perception needs to change as well. uh, Well, that's interesting. I think Jane maybe could comment to that. And there's also a comment in the chat for you, Jane. Um, Do you want to respond to what Mark just said initially and then we'll, we'll talk to what was said in the chat? Yes, sure. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's such a wonderful conversation to have. In my experience over really decades of, of being involved in menstrual education with girls, with mums uh, and women, uh, and also families and dads, we run a program called Fathers Celebrating Daughters. And what I've come to really understand is that for women talking about their experience when they were growing up and for girls too, it actually makes a, a really big difference if fathers are able to acknowledge in, in a positive, supportive way. Now, of course, their role is going to be somewhat different to mum who knows about having a menstrual cycle but for fathers to be able to show that they're cool about it that they're happy to support you know they're going shopping and, and knowing what products their their daughter or their wife or partner likes and you know in so many ways to be able to be just knowledgeable and and supportive really helps you know it is a whole factor that can really help reduce menstrual shame to be able to feel okay about it because If for a lot of dads and a lot of men feel like, oh, well, I don't know anything about this, I haven't really got anything to contribute, and that's understandable that they feel like that. But if they're able to acknowledge that in some way with girls, what happens is girls, instead of feeling like, oh, dad doesn't, you know, something wrong with this, dad doesn't know anything about this, I can't talk to dad about it, they actually know, oh, it's okay, dad's got my back. You know, and, and I mean, a tip that I love to share is, you know, keep some pads in your glove box or your briefcase or, you know, your, your, your own bathroom at work or, or wherever. There'll always be someone who needs them sometime. That's a great tip. Thanks, Jane. Now, there's been a few comments, but I'll go back to the first one that struck me. And so someone, I can't see who has made the comment, but they said, I'm struck by the continuum of women's empowerment. Here in the West, where we are so fortunate to have education and careers and towards gender equity, we are now calling for workplace policies to have days off when we menstruate. So I think that's a really interesting point of how, you know, we're actually starting to call for people to have days off, but I'm assuming we're calling for people to have paid leave. So the the basic question is, how does menstruation fit into gender equity in your view? Mm. I think what I would say is that a positive menstrual culture really contributes to gender equity. 
So, you know, menstruation will go on regardless. But being able to to have permission to look after ourselves according to our needs. And it's interesting to note that I'm, I'm aware of a number of companies in India who also have menstrual policies and menstrual leave, paid menstrual leave. Now, of course, it's not everywhere. And a lot of, lot of workplaces in India don't have uh, sick leave or holiday pay either. But there are some uh, really pioneering. Or toilets for that matter. Or toilets, for that matter, exactly. So India, as as we know, is incredibly diverse, but there is some uh, workplace menstrual policy happening there. And so I think in the case of gender equity, if we sort of just take a leap and imagine a world in which there's a really positive culture around menstruation, that we aren't feeling like we've got to be secretive and ashamed and there's something wrong or something not okay with our body or something or somehow we can't talk to our boss at work, you know, if we're feeling really unwell from a period or in a lot of pain, we might make up excuses and say it's something else if we need time off. Imagine a world where we're able to be upfront when we need to be. It doesn't mean we can't still be private when we want to be too, is is it takes away a whole level of difficulty when we're looking at all the issues of gender equity. If we could be, you know, completely comfortable and feel supported by our workplace, by our family, by our community, and really also have have menstruation and, and menstrual problems much more upfront and supported with real money in, in terms of healthcare as well. And we've got a ways to go in that space as well. Great. Thanks, Jane. Now, we've only got about another eight minutes to go. There's a couple more questions here, but one of them is about the specifics of the toilet building, about is water involved, how are they cleaned, various infrastructure sort of questions. I'm wondering if there's a quick answer to that. Okay, good. Our focus is helping girls stay in school longer. So the aim, therefore, is to get toilets in that are proper and functional toilets as quickly as possible without the need to re-educate the community about, for instance, composting. Getting people who've never heard of it before to start composting doesn't just happen overnight, and they need to want it for that to be a thing. So we, we're just using septic tanks. It's imperfect, but then we have agreements with local councils about emptying them. All the schools that we work with take a responsibility for cleaning the toilets, for providing soap, and, and also the local council makes sure that there's water available. There are too many schools for us to help. So if those boxes aren't ticked, we don't help those schools. We only help the schools that are, are able to provide water, are able to guarantee cleaning and maintenance, and where the council is able to guarantee looking after the, the septic tanks. So we have actually got, ironically, an advantage that we can turn some away because there's no point helping people who aren't willing to help themselves. It needs to be a two-way thing, who aren't willing or able, because if they're not able... We'll pass it to a bigger organisation that can do the really, really complicated work. Our aim is quick results on helping girls stay in school. That's great. Thanks, Mark. That sort of links to another question by my mum. Hi, mum. Hi, Shirley. (laughs) They are asking, is there recognition of this need with other organisations and larger ones like World Vision and other international ones? World Vision are huge in this. And in fact, we worked closely with World Vision on one project in India where they're helping look after the education component of the project because education is a long-term thing. Anyone can build toilets. Give me a shovel and some bricks, I'll build you a toilet. Mightn't be a good one, but anyone can do it. But getting people to truly change their behavior and really understand the reason for the change in behavior, that's a long-term exercise. And The way Rotary works is we go in, we go out, we start the next project and we move on. World Vision will stick with it. We didn't want them building the toilets because they're way too expensive and we're better off getting our volunteers and 
the people they employ in India to build the toilets using local labor. But the education bit, the software, that, that stuff we work with experts like World Vision, like Plan International, like, like UNICEF, there's so many doing this stuff, yeah. And if, if you look at the films on my website, there's two little films and one of them shows that World Vision cleaning and education project in action. It's really sweet. They go with songs on washing hands and things like that. Now, can I comment on the next one as well, which Jane has put a comment on? This is from uh, Trace and my sister, Mandy. Hi, Mandy. Nice to see you there. About the idea of menstrual banishment. And it's actually, it is interesting that I've heard from women in Nepal who say, for instance, it's the one time of the month when they don't have to clean the house, do the cooking, look after the family. So they talk about it as a positive, but there are so many negatives associated with it. I think that unfortunately the negatives outweigh the positives. Yes, they do have that time away from the men in the community and, and away from the cooking and the cleaning and et cetera, et cetera. But that shouldn't be the solution, that being banished to a, being sent to a dirty hut, which has probably got cow shit on the floor. It's not the solution. But, but it's definitely true that there is some cultural change needed so that these women don't feel it's a good thing. Yeah. They, they have other solutions to that problem of having to do all of the home labour. <laughs> oh, but look, it's a, in, these, in these very patriarchal societies, it's a deeply complex issue. And these women, they, I think they, they genuinely do feel in many cases that, thank goodness, we've got that escape for now. But it's not, it's not the solution. There needs a better solution than that. Can I speak to that? I've got this idea that Jane knows about, and I've put in the back of the book about making a little candle that you light when you're having your period and then the family knows and then my thought for cultural change is because they know they're going to maybe they'll give you a little back rub and maybe they'll do the dishes and, and the cooking and you can go and have, put your feet up. And so I'm, I'm trying in little ways like that I think is actually po possibly a big way to, to make positive cultural change. Um, just quickly on Mandy's comment, she also she mentioned our mother having brought this issue of menstrual banishment to our attention. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if that maybe subliminally did influence me to become interested in this issue. Maybe I know she was into telling us to take the time and stop and smell the roses. And I guess in India, that's kind of what I did when I went to that slum. I went and stopped and smelled the roses. Although the roses in that particular case were, didn't smell very nice being people going to the toilet in the street. But yes, taking the time just to look at what's going on. And Yeah, and our father was a, a great humanist, yeah. you know. Oh, and I, it's I in see a, it's in our makeup, I guess. And my work. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, we've run out of time. I'd like to say thanks so much to you guys for being here and, and sharing all that you know with us and, and Trace especially for creating this beautiful artwork that is the book Cycling Together. I also want to acknowledge the Castlemaine Library was initially going to host this event and they were going to do everything for it as a live event and of course with COVID lockdowns they weren't able but Stuart from the library has been here commenting in the chat so I'm really glad that they've been here and been able to be part of it and just acknowledge the the amazing work that the local library does in our community to um, help share and educate and just be a genuine part of the community here. So, yeah, thanks, thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks, Trace. And go to Trace's website, tracebella.com, and you can find the link to Cycling Together. And you can order the book either digitally or as a hard copy. 
And the benefit of the hard copy is that you can just order it and it gets printed on demand. So there's no great stockpile of books waiting to be sold. They get printed as you order them, which is very efficient. And yeah, thanks very much, everyone, for being here. Thanks for listening to us chat for an hour. And I hope you got something from it. I'm not ready to stop yet. (laughs) Well, there's so much more to say, isn't there? (laughs) Thank you so much, Ali. There you go. That was the book launch for Trace Bella's book, Cycling Together, a live online event that we ran last Saturday. There are lots of links to the things discussed in the episode description at saltgrasspodcast.com or in the show notes on your podcasting app. For those of you listening on Main FM and 3MDR, please note that you can, of course, listen to all episodes of Saltgrass on your preferred podcasting app. And if you can't find the show on your app, please let us know and we'll see what we can do to make it available. You can follow Saltgrass on Facebook and Instagram and please subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. Again, you can do that by going to saltgrasspodcast.com. This program was made possible with support from Main FM and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. My name is Alison Hanley. Thanks for listening. Salt. Salt of the Earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Salt Grass on your podcast app or at saltgrasspodcast.com.